Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and for business owners who want to know, hey, what works with social media? I am so excited about today's show. Today, I'm going to be joined by Jeffrey Roars, who's the author of the brand new book, Audience, Marketing in the Age of Subscribers, Fans, and Followers. We're going to explore how to build one of the most valuable assets for any business, an audience that wants more and more of what you have to offer. I'm also going to share an awesome new tool that I discovered. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and just share that right now. After mediating a crocodile family dispute, look at what Michael Stelzner discovered. I've got a really cool tool that I want to introduce you to called SEM Rush. SEM Rush. Now, what this is, is it's a free tool, and you just go to the website and you type in the web address of any website, for example, your competitors and perhaps your very own website. And what's really cool about this is it provides you an enormous amount of intelligence. So, for example, if I type in socialmediaexaminer.com, tons of charts and diagrams come up and I click on the one called organic research on the left. And it shows me, for example, for the word social media, that I come up in position number four on Google and for QR code number eight and so on and so forth. And what's really cool is it tells me exactly how many people have searched for that particular keyword phrase over the last 12 months. And it also tells me how many results. For example, for social media, I'm in position number four. 49,500 people have searched for that in the last 12 months. And there's about 3.37 billion results that are underneath social media, which actually kind of makes me feel good right now. Um, But it's a lot more than just the keywords. And by the way, the keywords can be very valuable because you can go to your competitors that are ranking higher than you in the search results and you can kind of see what keywords um, they're ranking on as well. Or for example, competitors that you respect or that might be a little bigger. And there's just so much data here, it's almost impossible for me to reveal all of it. But one of the things that I thought was really cool is it will show you what ads are running. So for example, if you have a competitor that you know probably does Google pay-per-click ads, you can type in their actual um, domain in this tool and it will show you all the advertisements that they're running. So you can start thinking about this a little bit. From a marketer's perspective, you can do all sorts of research on what keywords are they ranking in, what are they purchasing, what do their ads look like, 
For example, if you do Social Media Examiner, you'll see that we're running some ads right now for our Social Media Marketing World Conference. And you can actually see the actual ads that we're running and the positions of the placements of those ads too. So there's just so much amazing research here that I could probably spend an hour digging through this thing. But I strongly recommend you try it out, semrush.com. It's free. They do limit how much data they will show you for free, but it's definitely worth fiddling with and seeing if it's something that you find of value. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. With that, let's transition over to today's expert interview where we're going to talk about how to build an audience that matters for your business. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. I'm very excited to be joined by Jeffrey Roars. If you don't know who Jeff is, he's the co-host of the Social Pros podcast and author of the brand new book, Audience, Marketing in the Age of Subscribers, Fans, and Followers. He's also the Vice President of Marketing Insights at Exact Target. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Uh, pleasure to be here. So today, Jeff and I are going to explore how to grow a following with social media. Jeff, let's start with the title of your brand new book, Audience. Can you explain what you mean by audience and why it's so important for marketers? Certainly. So um, the book really hones in on this concept of proprietary audience development, which is something that anybody in social media or email marketing or even mobile has actually been doing, but I'm attacking it from a little bit of a different angle. Um, so we've all been building these audiences, these you know Facebook fans, Twitter followers, YouTube subscribers, email subscribers. Um, but what I'm finding as I talk to marketers is that quite often those are not strategic pursuits. Those are very much um, almost kind of afterthoughts or um, the outcome of momentary campaigns. Mm. So if you think about marketing, it's traditionally been organized around a campaign that has a, uh, as I like to say, a beginning, a middle, an end, and then a cake to celebrate the results. And then you just repeat that. Um, what we have with audience development now is a responsibility, which I think is primary to marketing, to develop and engage and increase the value of audiences uh, on a permanent basis, on an ongoing basis, not just on a campaign basis, so that basically the marketing you're doing now is going to help you build a bigger, better audience for the next time you have to uh, come back out. Um, and of course, the the promise of this was um, really, you know, delivered by email as kind of the the first direct digital channel that we as marketers had. It's now that as we've expanded into these other uh, social and mobile channels. Um, we have to take some of that that um, thinking with us and understand that, look, you know, these proprietary audiences, these direct digital audiences, um, they aren't going to be there unless you build them. And if you don't build them, then you're going to be paying for it uh, in the form of advertising. So my message is really take a look at everything that you're doing in marketing and look to optimize it to build proprietary audiences because in that there is huge competitive advantage. I love the phrase proprietary audiences, and I like the last couple words you said here, which is if you don't, you're going to have to pay for it through advertising. Let's explore this a little bit because before the internet came about, how did people get in front of an audience? 
Sure. So we could all turn on uh, Mad Men when it comes back for its final season. And you can see that, uh, that particular time and era uh, you know, dramatized. Essentially, you have these, these great creative thinkers roaming the earth, billing uh, big dollars, and they were getting paid for their creative. And that's really all they had to do. That's why Don Draper could have three martini lunches. That's why he could have all of the extracurricular affairs that he had. Uh, was because all he had to do was really worry about great creative because he didn't have to assemble an audience. He was dependent on mass media to do that for him, the ABCs, the NBCs, the CBS, the radio groups, the newspapers. And the difference with, with our generation, of course, is there's been massive fragmentation of not only the mass media, uh, but even, even the digital media that we have. And so uh, even when you go to buy advertising today, you're usually buying a smaller audience at a higher uh, cost per uh, thousand views than you would have back in the day. Um, this is actually borne out by just some back-of-the-napkin research I did and I've included in the book over the Super Bowl. So in the Super Bowl, you see an audience growth of about 21% in terms of the people watching uh, in front of their television, whereas you see the cost of the ads themselves going up uh, 77%. So you know, really a three-to-one ratio there in terms of cost increases as opposed to audience increases. You know, so yeah. I'm not adverse to advertising. I don't want to give that impression. I actually think it's part of the ecosystem. It's just that now we have to be thinking about much more than Don Draper had to. We don't just come up with great creative. We also have to think about the distribution. We also have to think about building audiences that, are, are, that belong to us that no one else can access. I like the way you position this because basically what you're saying is marketing used to be just a matter of um, creating the right type of message that spurred some kind of an emotional response and then coming up with a massive amount of money to distribute that through television, radio, print. And, um, but the upside of this for today is, first of all, you don't have to come up with the mass amount of money. And secondly, you do not have to be reliant on the media if you don't want to. And in some regards, some of the past interviews that I've been doing recently talk about how you can actually become like the media by developing these different platforms and ultimately having an audience. So I think in the end, what everybody wants, frankly, is the audience, right, Jeff? And it's a question of whether you pay to to be in front of one that's already been established or you invest in creating your own, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. And in fact, the way you described it is very similar to one of the, the conversation points of the book, and that is, is that audience, proprietary audience development, is the flip side of the content marketing coin. And this was one of the things that really helped solidify some of my thinking as I was writing the book. I've had the great pleasure of um, knowing Joe Polizzi and Jay Baer and Ann Handley and C.C. Uh, Chapman over the years, people who have written really great books about content marketing, uh, or you know, Joe and Robert Rose over at the Content Marketing Institute who live and breathe this stuff, right? What's interesting is as you go to those events and you go to the breakout sessions and you talk to folks, you realize they're, if I can borrow a phrase from my legal days, um, they're assuming something that's not in evidence. And what they're assuming is that they create great content and the audience is automatically there. Right. And that's simply not true. You have to either buy or rent that audience or you have to have it yourself. And that means you have had to have done some of the hard work the, the mother hen work, if you will, of planting the seeds in the past that deliver you, you know, Twitter followers, YouTube subscribers, Facebook fans, email subscribers, so that when you do have that great piece of content, you're able to hit send. You're able to have a push button audience to reach. Um, 
that is not something that you can do overnight. That is an ongoing part of your marketing process and marketing responsibility. And it begins to help you see that audiences are really valuable business assets. And, you know, again, all you have to do is look at the mass media to understand that. What are what what is the product of the mass media? What is the product of ABC, CBS, NBC? It's eyeballs, it's attention. Mm-hmm. They are literally selling the attention of an audience. And they have very, very willing buyers. Um, many of those don't know better because they haven't invested the time, the sweat equity, to build their own audiences over time. And that, I think, is a fundamental uh, shift that's going to happen in marketing. I think we've got to have people, especially in larger marketing organizations, whose job it is to be in charge of audience development across channels, not just in siloed you know, uh, specific channels such as email. Instead, they're going to look out across all of the channels and say, how do we, how do we grow the most valuable audiences regardless of where they are. For some industries, it might be email. For some, it could be Facebook or Twitter. For some, it's YouTube. Um, for some, it's a combination of all of them. For many of the big brands, of course, it is. Or even a blog. Right now, we don't have people like that in our marketing organizations who are focused on audience development. So let's dig a little bit deeper here. Uh, in your book, you talk about seekers, amplifiers, and joiners. Can you, first of all, kind of explain what these mean? Sure. So as I was kind of you know, getting ready to write the book, I originally thought what I was writing was subscribers, fans, and followers, the book. That, um, that's the name of our research series that's been ongoing for the past three years in which we've examined consumer uh, intent and expectation when they subscribe, like, or follow brands. And as I dug in further, I realized I couldn't just write that book. I had to write something a little bit bigger because there were these other audiences that we as marketers have exclusive access to if we build them. So the three top-level audiences, if you will, are seekers, amplifiers, and joiners. Seekers uh, are folks who are looking for information or for entertainment. Mm. I'm a seeker when I turn on my television at night and I flip the channels. I'm looking for something to entertain me. I'm exposed during that period of time to advertising or, you know, um, it could be um, you know, sponsored information. It could be crawls across the bottom of the screen. It could be, you know, uh, a character who's wearing a particular, uh, you know, brand shirt or, you know, drinking a particular beverage. I'm exposed to these messages. I'm a seeker. I am also a seeker when I use Google or Google Maps. That's, you know, most known, most well known as, as a searcher, right? And so mm-hmm. search engine optimization is all about the process of delivering seekers to your website or whatever properties you have. The thing about seekers is that they're momentary. Once they find their information or once they've had their fill of entertainment, they go. And unless you convert them into the joiner group I'll talk about momentarily, they can go without a trace. So your job with seeker audiences is to attract them, number one, and you do that with great content or by uh, you know, uh, buying advertising, other types of things. But then you've got to convert them in some fashion. The, the second group, the amplifiers, you know very well in social media, right? This is what social media is built upon, is this, this promise, this possibility of having amplification on the back of others, where your consumers turn into your best form of marketing. I like to refer to amplifiers as audiences with audiences. You know, if you look at fundamental communication models, there's usually a sender, and a receiver and a message and the sender sends the message and the receiver receives it 
and the receiver might provide feedback, but the old you know, classical models, if you look at communication theory, didn't anticipate that the receiver in and of themselves would become a person who could then send their own messages. That's word of mouth. Andy Cernovitz has been talking about that for years and, and doing a great job about it. Social media now brings that and, and adds a whole other layer to it in terms of distribution and reach of those messages because somebody in your audience, and we see this every single week in social media, could be that person who has 100,000 followers. And if they're upset with your service or they're really pleased, they now can take that message out to their audience. So the amplifiers are the ones who we don't, again, necessarily have a direct relationship with. Um, I could tweet something right now. Mike, you could retweet it, and then someone could see it and retweet it again who has no relationship with me. That person's an amplifier for me, but I have no means to reach them again directly unless I've converted them into that third group, which are the joiners. Okay, so let's, pause, joiners for, let's, call, let's pause for one second, yeah, just, just so we can kind of explore this a little bit. So we've got seekers and we've got amplifiers. And seekers are the people that are looking for information or looking for entertainment. Now, the amplifiers are those that choose to essentially share um, your content with their community. Now, one of the questions that comes to mind, are the amplifiers a subsegment of the seekers or are they a separate group in your mind? I see them as a second, separate group, and they're not mutually exclusive. So I could be a seeker, an amplifier, a joiner. I can be all of these things at once. In fact, I see. most of us are. Okay. Um, but the amplifiers, the interesting thing about the amplifiers is they're, they're actually looking for um, access to information. They're looking for the ability to uh, bring their, their knowledge, their kind of first-to-know knowledge or their experience to their own audience. So they're not only an audience with audience uh, audiences, they're an audience that is looking to grow their audiences. Mm. And so you do quite well with uh, amplifiers uh, when you engage them in ways that adds to their prestige or um, uh, ultimately the distribution uh, of, their, uh, of their message about your brand. So a little perf personal example here, and it's a very obscure reference that probably few of your listeners will have familiarity with, but there was a band in the 80s called Prefab Sprout uh, that for some reason I just, I love. They're a British band, um, had, had a few minor kind of alternative hits in the mid 80s, and um, they, uh, the lead singer, Patty McLoon, uh, has become kind of a, a recluse over the last uh, 10 or so years. Um, and I found out yesterday, thanks to a tweet from a friend, that he came out with a new album this, this month in England. And I was ecstatic because, I mean, it's like every, you know, 10 years he comes out with an album. And um, I didn't think he was ever going to record again. And so I retweeted my friend's tweet, and lo and behold, uh, Prefab Sprout New, at Prefab Sprout New, retweeted me. And that's the new Twitter account for whomever's doing his marketing. Uh -huh. um, I was not a subscriber. I'm a, I'm a longtime fan, but not in an electronic sense, right? They don't have any means to directly contact me. But here they are. Um, a friend sees this information. They, he, that friend was seeking information, found this, amplified it. I amplified it further, and they retweeted me to their audience, which granted isn't super huge, but we were amplifiers of each other in that instance, and it led me then to become a joiner because I went to their website once I figured out what the new website was, 
and subscribed and got a free song from it. And when I go to the UK next month, I'm buying the album. So it's, it's this fluidity that we now have in these different audiences. But the, the very process of thinking about them as an audience, I think, A, humanizes them. And then, B, if you begin to talk about you know, your seekers, your amplifiers, your joiners, you can begin to think strategically about how do we grow these audiences in meaningful ways. Because it's great if you're number one on Google for whatever a great search term is. But what is that traffic actually doing if, as it comes to your site? Right? We want to optimize conversion, all of that. But conversion isn't just sale. Conversion is converting them into channels where you have the ability to communicate with them directly again in the future so you can deepen the relationship, increase customer opportunities, uh, you know, increase your share of wallet. Um, so let's and, explore and that, let's explore joiners a little bit here since you just kind of hinted a little bit about, about exactly. that you were a joiner. So just define what a joiner is. So a, a joiner, for lack of a better term, is somebody who is giving you permission to communicate with them directly through a, uh, a, a specific channel. Um, in, in, I call in the book the, the ultimate joiner audience is the customer, right? Because they purchase from you. They open up literally their wallet and you now have communication abilities either around you know, receipts or warranty or the product itself if you have an onboarding process. Um, and so that's the ultimate joiner audience. A couple of other joiner audiences that I mentioned in the book are employees and partners because they're either implicitly or explicitly, you have the ability to communicate with them. But when you look at it from a marketing perspective, what joiners really means are subscribers, fans, and followers. So now we get into the heart of where my research has been for the last three and a half years. And uh, these audiences where I've got a push button relationship, they give me permission to send email as long as I meet their expectations, I'm relevant, I'm timely, um, I'm giving them value, I am able to communicate through that channel. Uh, Facebook, same thing, except with Facebook it's a little different, right? That's an environment where it's much more about the individual fan and expressing themselves than it is about me promoting, promoting, promoting. If I want to be in the news feed um, and I want to be the, in the news feed organically so I'm not paying for all that distribution, then I've got to be relevant in doing interesting things that people want to share, like, comment on, those types of things. And then Twitter and other follower uh, mechanisms kind of have uh, a similar bent, except there, there it's kind of that hybrid where I have the ability to push the button and it's to a group of joiners, but the, they're, they're often hyphenates, right? Because they're joiner amplifiers, much like I was with my friend on Twitter, right? He sends me something and now I'm amplifying it out. So the, we've known this. I mean, this is, what, I'm, what I'm suggesting in the book is uh, one of the great compliments I've had is that there's a, there's a lot of things that are self-evident, but I'm framing it in a different way because we've thought about all of these audiences not in terms of their aggregate value to the organization, but in terms of their ROI on a campaign basis. And what that leads us to do is undervalue them. I believe, in terms of what they're truly worth to the organization. Because if we're always focused on ROI in the individual campaign, we're missing the bigger picture of what does it mean to have you know, a million email subscribers if our competitor has you know, 100,000? What's the value there? What's the long-term customer value and the difference? Jeff, one of the thoughts that I'm thinking about right now is it seems to me, at least if I think about Social Media Examiner, for example, 
Um, seekers are probably the people that are reading our content every day as a result of finding us in search or finding us as a result of an amplifier, right? Who's yep. gone out there and retweeted our stuff. And the seeker number is much bigger than obviously the, the people that we have as Facebook fans, Twitter followers, and on our email list. So for example, we have, let's say 800,000 people a month coming to our site. We have 225,000 on our email list. So I, I guess the magic sauce for anyone listening, even if they're much smaller than us, um, is how do you convert someone from a seeker to a joiner? Can you share a couple tips? Certainly. Um, you know, certainly you've got, you, you've got to look at that as a desired outcome um, and be measuring against that goal and objective. Um, I see oftentimes... Um, companies will kind of implicitly expect that they're going to grow their subscriber base or their fans or their followers, but they don't have an explicit plan to get them there. So um, in your particular example, and I've had this conversation with, with Joe Polizzi and, and um, with the folks behind Marketing Land and others, you know, they're, they're in a publishing kind of world, right? And uh, the, one of the first places they want to convert that seeker is into an email subscriber, right? Because that that email inbox has a different relationship with people than the waterfalls of social media, and there is a linear process to checking the inbox still, and therefore getting you know getting into that inbox is critically important. So, in terms of advice on how to do that, the first thing you need to do is audit your website or the places that seekers, in this case searchers, right. Are, are coming to and look at what are your capture mechanisms? What are the mechanisms by which you are asking for that overt uh, express permission to email folks? And I, I imagine that many of your listeners will actually be kind of horrified if they do this um, because in many instances, uh, the email subscription forms have been kind of slapped up on websites. They're kind of an afterthought. Right. Um, I've seen more websites in the last couple of years uh, adapt to uh, the kind of the takeover um, pop-up, if you will. So you'll hit a site, and it's going to immediately then present you with an email uh, opt-in form that if you don't want to you know, deal with it, you have to close it. And I remember a number of years ago, there was a lot of debate about those types of pop-ups um, or, or takeovers because people thought, oh, that's, that's creating friction. It's keeping people from the content. Well, I think people are now waking up to the fact of, look, if you're going to make a business of this, a little bit of friction is okay because they're getting the content for free. What's it going to hurt if I really optimize and put something in front of them that says, hey, if you really appreciate this content, subscribe to the newsletter now. And you don't just do it there. You also look at the content or whatever, what you, whatever you process you have on your website to look at other places that it's going to be logical to ask them to opt in. Uh, at the end of articles, uh, if they share an article, right, making it easy so they can check a box to subscribe. Um, the rise of, of social sign-in was a huge boon for people looking to kind of grow um, their both their email marketing lists and, you know, kind of their social um, connections, their social joiners. Um, I've seen mixed results with that. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't work quite as well. Um, so you really have to look at those options uh, as to what works best for your business. But this the simple notion, and I, I talk about it in the book, the simple notion of doing an audit, going through your site or the, you know if you're a store, your physical processes to understand how are we even asking people 
to become a part of these joiner audiences. Are we? Are we doing it in a good way? Are we giving? Are we explaining what we're going to give them? I'm I'm amazed still at how often you know people will ask for you know hey subscribe to our email, but they don't explain what you're going to get. It's a giant black hole of well I have no expectations on this, so I'm not wedded necessarily to you know receive it. Um, and I, I think we can all learn a lesson from actually, uh, interestingly enough, the social media companies. If you look at the companies that in many ways are doing some of the best or, or most aggressive jobs uh, in terms of you know, email marketing, engagement, you know, keeping onboarding people, you know, take a look at what Twitter does now for new accounts. It's vastly different than three years ago. Three years ago, you'd sign up and nothing happened. Now there's you know, an onboarding process. Now there are emails to get you engaged, to keep you coming back. Because it's not enough to just get the email address. What you're trying to do is keep those people engaged with the brand, either because you need the eyeballs, you know, to sell advertising or what have you, um, or you need engagement to sell your product. Um, but it's not just about the audience; it's also about making sure you're growing size, engagement, and value. Those are the three, I think, really critical dimensions of audience uh, that I detail in the book, and um, they add a a layer to it um, that I think helps marketers understand strategically what they should be seeking to grow. Jeff, um, a couple thoughts here. First of all, for those people that are listening right now that use content to try to draw people to their website, um, you have to ask yourself, why are you creating the content in the first place if not to try to grow an audience? So the idea of being repulsed by a pop-up form that actually aids in the process of growing the audience in a way that you own it in a proprietary way, as Jeff is talking about, is really just a reprogramming of our mindset, frankly. In the case of Social Media Examiner, we know that our little pop-up box is a significant portion of our audience, that we would be way smaller without it. And in the long run, these people tend to stay on the list and be fed at your trough trough on a regular basis. Uh, That's the first thing. The second thing that I want to talk about is that I think a lot of us get caught up in the wrong metrics. And I think, Jeff, you would probably agree with me on this. We create content a lot of times because it's going to be popular rather than because it's going to convert. And I'll be honest, I'm the first one to to admit guilty to this one, Jeff. We used to always look at the total page views as a, a metric of whether we or not we should do more of the same kinds of content because we had this false assumption inside of our brain that more page views equals more conversions. It wasn't mm-hmm. until we started doing conversion tracking to realize that that's not necessarily true. Some articles have people that are basically, like you said, seekers that come and go and never convert. And I'm curious, what do you think about this? I think you're hitting on something very important. Those, that's the, those are the empty calories of content marketing. Um, gimmicks have always been a part of marketing. I have a, a series of slides that I do in one of my presentations just showing you all of the, the funny gimmicky types of marketing that have cropped up over, say, the last decade. You know, one of my favorites that, that hit, uh, hit Ad Age and some others earlier this year was beard advertising. Literally, a company that will put little placards in uh, her suit men's beards uh, to advertise things. So, like Dollar Shave Club is advertising in guys' beards. It's very funny. It grabs attention. It gets written about in Ad Age. But the reason I, I call them empty calories is because once the the initial interest fades, that audience is gone, and you've converted really nobody. 
Um, that's not to say sometimes that gimmicks aren't a good way to, to jumpstart. But if you're going to do one of those kind of empty calories, those, uh, you know, the, the buzzfeedification type of content, if you will, to capture initial interest, then you better make sure that the, 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 the mousetrap around it is very strong and it, it serves up the other value that you provide so that while this person is exposed to this, you know, perhaps light and fluffy kind of content, there's other things to attract them and try and drive them into, hey, sign up for the newsletter, or hey, follow us on Twitter, or hey, you know, we've got a YouTube channel you should subscribe to. There are a myriad of places now where you build audiences, and you know, it's, it's no excuse to, to, um, to say you didn't think of it anymore, I guess is what I'm, I'm trying to get at. And to go back, actually kind of the very beginning, because something you said triggered this, you know, we didn't really define why I say proprietary. And the reason I call them proprietary is because no audience is owned. We live in an age, and this is true of any audience, that people can just get up and leave, right? They're on a smartphone. They can turn off the television. They can not pay attention to the television. If I'm at a concert, I can get up and I can go. There's no ownership of the audience. They're proprietary, however, because I can build them in databases or places where I alone, on behalf of my company, can access them. Mm. And I can build them into truly valuable assets. And the, and the back of the napkin math that I do to make it really easy is to say, look, if I've got a million email subscribers and I do the, the long, you know, kind of the, the lifetime customer value calculation that an email subscriber is worth $3 more to me than a non-email subscribing customer, that means I've got a $3 million asset in the form of that email subscriber base or that Facebook fan group or those followers, wherever they might be. Now, many people will challenge me and say, well, how do you measure the value of you know, Facebook fans? And I can give you some creative ways to do it. But ultimately, that's the problem we're solving for this generation. It's, it's not enough to challenge whether you can get to the value. What you have to do is figure out which of those channels is most valuable for you. Um, there's a great story out there about how uh, a company called PetFlow used Facebook to grow uh, its fan base, you know, just astronomically, and they're a huge revenue producer for you. Uh, are Facebook fans going to be revenue producers for every brand? Absolutely not. And that's the other nuance here, is that brand, the way you go to market with your product, the way the market perceives you, your brand, and the product, all of those things translate into different channels that are going to work in different ways for you. And um, without getting, you know, getting too far in the weeds in the book, I call this the era of hybrid marketing because we're trying to figure out how to use the fossil fuel of advertising with the renewable energy of the internet and these direct channels to merge them together to get effectively more energy out than we put in. And my fundamental belief is that the companies who focus on proprietary, uh, proprietary audience development in the years to come are, are going to build a huge competitive advantage. You're already seeing it um, with some of the bigger brands. Uh, you often hear, uh, for instance, Red Bull cited as a great example of content marketing, which it absolutely is. But look at the flip side of the coin. Remember, the flip side of the coin is proprietary audience development. They have a subscription-based magazine that has hundreds of thousands of subscribers. They have a YouTube channel 
that has hundreds of thousands of subscribers. So every time they have a new piece of content, they push a button or they drop something in, in the mail and that audience gets it. Now, Monster Energy, other competitive drinks in that space don't have those audiences. Think about the higher cost they have to incur to get there. And so this is really where content marketing and audience development go hand in glove. And if nothing else in the coming year, I want to make sure that audience gets uh, much more attention because we're, we're assuming it just exists and it comes at a cost. And it, it doesn't have to be as expensive to always be paying for advertising if you focus on making sure that all of your marketing efforts are going towards building those direct proprietary audiences that are most meaningful to your business. So, Jeff, my last question is, how does um, the person listening right now know if what they're doing is working? Said another way, how do we prove that what we're doing is actually that it matters? Do you have any insight on this? Sure. So, you know, my, my colleague Joel Book here at Exact Target has a favorite saying about getting more juice for the squeeze. So what you will begin to see over time is that you're going to get better results for less effort. That doesn't mean that you're going to put less effort toward it. What it means is you're going to be able to redirect some of that effort it took to get to the first 100 people uh, because now it's a lot easier to get to that first 100 plus the next 900. So as you build the subscriber base, you're touching more people. You hit send on that email, you're going to be able to impact sales directly and faster as that audience grows. And as you become more sophisticated, either through conversion tracking or uh, being able to calculate lifetime customer value, comparing your non-joiners with joiner audiences to get that delta to figure out how much, how much more is a joiner, an email subscriber, a Facebook fan worth than a non-subscriber or a non-fan, as you begin to calculate that, you can now begin to express the value of the audience as I just did, right? A million email subscribers, $3 lifetime customer value over everybody else, you have a $3 million asset. And I think uh, for smaller organizations, that conversation is more of an internal one, right? Because you probably have you know, a marketing person or you're talking about an entrepreneur who's wearing the hat of the CEO and the marketer. In that person's case, you want to be focused on efficiency and making sure that your efforts, your marketing efforts are not only selling in the moment, but helping you build the audience for the next time you go out. So audit your website, do these things to make sure that you're, 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 you've got the ask, you know, join us, subscribe, fan, follow. You've got the ask out there in ways that are, um, that consumers are going to be willing to engage with, they aren't turned off by. Um, that's really about efficiency, optimizing your time, and you'll have a slow growth on those audiences. Maybe even focus on channels where the proprietary audience is, you know, really the management of that is kind of handled for you. For instance, YouTube, right? If I set up a YouTube channel, people can subscribe to that. I don't ever have to hit send. I just post new videos and YouTube is going to notify them when new videos come out. So it's all automated. I don't have to necessarily worry about that. But for the larger organizations, where I think you know, this is headed is really and truly talking about audiences as assets, having an asset-based mentality toward them so that you can communicate not only up to your CMO, but to the CEO that, look, we're not just marketing. We're building these assets that have real value to the company. 
And uh, maybe I'll close with one example from, from the book that everybody, I think, knows. And it's, an inter- it's interesting timing because Netflix is in the news today because they knocked their, their, um, their subscriber counts out of the park. They now, I believe, have more paid subscribers than HBO. I think it crossed 31 million subscribers. Well, Mike, you remember a year and a half, two years ago, everybody was saying that they were at death's door because of the whole Quickster debacle. Yep. Where they announced to the marketplace that we're going to split the baby. We're going to charge you the same amount for DVDs delivered to your door, and then we're going to charge you know, the same amount for uh, streaming. And you have to subscribe to one, the other, or both. But you're no longer going to have them merged. And they were going to increase and, the price a lot, too. <laughs> yes, they were going to increase the price. They called it Quickster. They didn't register the Twitter handle. It was, it was a real debacle. And what happened was, in a matter of weeks, they lost 800,000 subscribers. Now, at the time, that was only about 5 or 6% of their overall subscriber base. It took them down, uh, I think it took, it took them down into like the 21 million type of subscribers. But even though they only lost about 4 or 5% of their subscribers, their market cap went down from nearly $300 a share to around 60 So they lost 80% of their market cap because the market reacted negatively to their proprietary audience. Granted, they're customers, but they are subscribers, right? Dropping four, five, six points. So I share that anecdote with folks for two reasons. One, to get them thinking about what if you had to report on your subscriber, fan, and follower growth to the street? Could you? Do you even know if it's growing? Who's in charge of it? And if you reported it, is it, a, is it going up? Is it going down? And then the second piece of it is that the story has a happy ending because audiences are renewable assets. What Netflix did is they course corrected. Their CEO came out. He apologized. He said, we, we goofed. We're going to focus, refocus, redouble our efforts on customer service. We've heard your complaints. We're not going to make this change. And now there are over 31 million subscribers. Their stock is, I think, over $360 a share as we record this today. So the, the message there is really twofold. One, you need somebody focusing on audience development and start measuring the growth, not just in terms of size, but engagement and value. And then secondly, don't use the excuse that somebody's far ahead of you in the marketplace as a reason not to do this. If I'm a cookie manufacturer and I look and I see that Oreo has 34 million fans on Facebook, that's pretty demoralizing. (laughs) But you know what? That doesn't matter because if I have a great product, I can build fans for that. And I'm going to do it slow and I'm going to do it steady. I'm going to build market share. I'm going to do it in a differentiated way that's specific to my brand. And I'm going to concentrate on getting those people who love my product into one of these joiner audiences. So... I can not only push a button and sell product, but also I can hopefully stimulate that that part of their brain that is the amplifier, and I can reach new audiences at less cost. And so Netflix is, I think, a really interesting example. There are other ones out there, but at the heart of this is is my firm belief that we don't have anybody right now owning audience development in marketing departments, and we desperately need to. We're too channel siloed. And um, audiences are the one thing that I think the C-suite, as they begin to understand the economic value, they'll perk up and they'll begin to give, I I think, more um, 
dollars, uh, responsibility, respect, strategic guidance uh, if, you, if you talk their language and you talk about these assets. I hope everyone that's listening right now um, is really processing what Jeff is saying, that your audience is your asset. And that asset you can have over email, you can have on YouTube, you can have on your social channels. But the real question is, do you even know how big that asset is? Is it growing? Who's managing it? These are wonderful questions that you can really grapple with and get your head around if you grab Jeff's newest book. So my last question, Jeff, is where can folks discover more about your brand new book, Audience, Marketing in the Age of Subscribers, Fans, and Followers, and also where can they reach you? Yeah, so if you go to audiencepro.com, that is the website for the book. We have got uh, some free resources on there. It has all of the links to purchase through the various online vendors. Uh, at last check, oddly enough, I think Walmart had the best price at about 15 bucks with free shipping. But who knows, that might have changed by now. Uh, and uh, we'll also have some um, cool free, load, uh, free, free downloads on there. And you can also subscribe uh, to updates uh, from me about the book. Uh, as for me myself, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at JK Roars, uh, and you will probably find me on the circuit next year speaking and preaching this gospel, uh, and always on the hunt for really good stories of companies that get it and have doubled down on audience development and realized uh, really, really great results uh, because of it. So, Mike, awesome. I really appreciate the time today and uh, and really look forward to people's feedback once they do get the book in their hands. Yeah, and just to reiterate, it's R-O-H-R-S-J-K-R-O-H-R-S on Twitter. Not the roars is in the lion. <laughs> Jeff, you got thank, it. You thank got you so it. much for joining us today and sharing your insight with us. I know that I speak for a lot of people that were listening. It was awesome, and I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this interview. I hope you got a lot out of it. I know it ran a little longer than most of our interviews, but I just couldn't cut anything because I felt like there was so much good stuff in there. All right. Um, if there was something we mentioned in today's episode and you, you missed it, we've got very detailed show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 66. And when you go there, you can find everything we've mentioned here and leave comments and let us know what you think about the show. Also, if you listen to us on Stitcher or on iTunes, I would love it if you would give us a rating and a review. You can go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash Stitcher or socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes. In either case, please do subscribe to the podcast. And this does bring us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I will be back with you next week with another exciting episode. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.